Are we doing this? Hey guys, I'm Adam Rapport, and this is the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Actually, a bonus episode of the Bon Appetit Foodcast coming to you live on Friday. Uh, today we've got on Deputy Editor Julia Kramer, uh, who is responsible for putting together our annual Hot 10 Best New Restaurant list, and she is joined by Brett Martin, contributing writer and restaurant critic for GQ, who is responsible for putting together their annual Best New Restaurants list, which came out earlier this week. So yeah, I talked to them about their processes and what a best list even means today. All right, let's do this thing. Okay, so guys, I kind of feel like your ship's passing in the night in Mm. the sense that you're about to file your best new restaurants for GQ, Brett, and Julia, you're finally just getting started on your research. I'm imagining a world in which I'm Brett. And how nice my life would feel right Oh, really? Now. Do, you, do you imagine that world when you're doing this in January and February <laughs> <laughs> and you go to Minneapolis and Chicago and Portland, Maine? Because I imagine a world in which I um, frolic in the sunshine eating at beautiful outdoor restaurants all the time. I have to say, even in March and April, it's, there's no way to eat outside in like half of this country. So. Well, it was minus 23 in Madison when I was there. Oh, that's this, brutal. Minus 23 without that. That's just the, the pure temperature. But the, uh, fact, the fact that you're in Madison is interesting because I feel like we've talked about this before on the pod and, and the restaurants now. Like 10 years ago, a restaurant critic would never go to Madison. It was New York, L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, right. et cetera. Yeah, no, this year I did a lot more than I even have before. And I, I mean, I think that's, I, that's the story of the last 10 years of restaurants in some ways. Well, there's a lot of stories. But the rearrangement of where interesting restaurants are and the um, diversification of that is a big part of it. And this year I, I did, um, I sort of front loaded my travel with a lot of places like Madison, Indianapolis, Providence, um, trying to think of where else. But I, I mean, that's to me the, m- the most exciting part. I've actually only at the, these last several months been, or last several weeks been been hitting the big cities. Joey, what, what, yeah, so you're, you're beginning to plot your course for the next three months or so. Talk about that big city, small, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, the small cities can be really rewarding and they're always um, the most fun for me because I just like to explore and I like to feel this sense of like, even though it's fictional, like the sense of completism, like, okay, every new place that people are talking about in this city, like I've been to, which you can't really do for like most big cities. But the small cities can also be like crushing. I mean, like you'll go to Cincinnati because you heard there was this place there that was so great and everything about it looks perfect on Instagram. And there's only one other place that's like falls under our criteria that's new to go to and you go there and they're both terrible. And then you just spent like two days like wasted with nothing and yeah. just fly back to New York like depressed. What about, so talk about over the last few years, some victories you've had in, in smaller cities or towns, discovering restaurants that really were rewarding. Indianapolis, I went there to check out Milk Tooth, which ended up in our Hot 10 breakfast and lunch only years ago. place. That same year, I went to Davidson, North Carolina, which I, for the sole purpose of going to this restaurant called Kindred, which also ended up in the top 10. So those were... And the then f- its new sister restaurant, Hello Sailor, ended up on your list last year, right? That's right. In Cornelius, yeah. North Carolina. Yeah, a couple years later, you know. Oh. <laughs> Sick she's still, bird. She's still feeling the Staple House scoop. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to get to that. Don't worry. Don't jump ahead just yet. Do you feel that when you go to a restaurant like Kindred compared to the newest place in Brooklyn or San Francisco that do the people who work there, do they care more? Are they nicer? Is it Does it feel like a more human experience? I would say almost everywhere I go, the like overriding sensation I feel is everyone here is so nice. Yeah. And then I realize like just what a dark place New York City and like New York City restaurants can be. I had that experience in Toronto recently. Our, our, our son went to camp this summer. We went to like a little reunion thing in the winter. It's a whole other podcast. But we were at a friend's like birthday party at their house. And I was just like, everyone at this party is so nice. They ask you questions. They talk to you. It's like, is New York just the worst place? I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. So yeah, so let's talk, let's talk about the actual process in terms of Julia. So you're 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 starting now. You've done a little bit of this and that. Like, how do you go about it? I want to hear what your sort of plotting out, mapping out strategy is compared to how Brett does his. Um, sure, mine is pretty. I mean, as methodical as I can try and be. So throughout the year, um, I and a couple other people on staff. Are, have this enormous Google Doc where we're tracking all the new restaurants that open and that we hear about, um, sort of by region. And then when it, and there's like, you know, thousands of places on that list. And then uh, when it comes time to actually start booking travel, or if I know that I'm going to a city for some other reason, like a conference or a festival or something throughout the year, um, I go to back to that list. And then I like reread the entire archive of like Eater and like local news and everything in that city because I'm paranoid that we like missed something. And then the um, best resource, honestly, most of the time is just if you know someone in that city or yeah. um, someone you met there like on a previous trip, you kind of like start to build up this little network so you can um, ask people who actually live there, there and are on the ground um, for their insights and then kind of make a really ambitious itinerary for that city of like, OK, I'm there for two days. I'm going to hit these like 15 places and like inevitably you don't ever make it to all of yeah. them. But I think one thing for me as an editor, which it took me a while to figure out when Andrew Knowlton was doing this list. I was always like, well, can't you just get started earlier? Can't you just be more organized? But then if you get started too early, and like, for instance, our list, which comes out in October, ships in August, needs to be done in mid-July. If you go to a city too early, then you might miss something that opened a month or two after you'd been there. And this happened with us like a year or two ago where Felix Restaurant in Venice Beach, California, celebrated pasta restaurant, Evan Funky the Chef. And Knowlton had been in LA like a week or two before it opened. And that was his West Coast swing and he did all the restaurants. And then by the time we're like, we could have kind of flown out there just for that right before shipping, but then you miss it. And then a year later, it's like, well, can we put it on this year's list or is it already a year old? Yeah, there's always, there's a full year of watching other people get to write about places that you know, you know, last year, the exact same thing happened with me with Mater Domo last year, although we did fly, I, as it happened, I was on the West Coast for something else and flew in for one night just to try Major Domo, which turned out to be one of our favorite on the list last year. And that's David Chang's. That's David Chang's new place in LA. And I'm glad that, uh, that the, the Jim Nelson, um, the editor-in-chief, uh, longtime editor-in-chief and uh, only recently departed, um, had gone and rightly 
uh, in my mind, sent me back. But yeah, no, there's places, I mean, uh, you know, places that opened immediately after Frenchette, for instance, this year, here in New York, opened the week after I closed my, um, oh. my story, which, which removed, I, as it happens, I'm friends with those guys that removed the kind of problem of having to worry about how, uh, conflict of interest, but I, it's, it's a place I'd love to have been able to write about. So you won't consider it for this year's? I won't, just because they don't, I mean, I feel like it's, it's too, I certainly could. I don't know that I'd be doing them any good or the reader any good at this point yeah. to waste a space on that. Yeah. Not that it, it, space. It, Go to Frenchette. And it's a, bummer. I, it's a bummer for the restaurant and because how hard people work to open a restaurant. It's just like, sorry, we just missed the window. Right. So I, two questions, because I do want to get back to lists and how lists influence each other or don't influence one another. But I also want to get to the point of, you mentioned that you're friends with Riyadh and Lee, who are the chefs, owners of, of Frenchette. How the, the the world of restaurants and food is, you know, it's a social world and we get to know these people. And sometimes you report a story on someone that's not about critiquing a restaurant, you're doing a recipe story or a profile, then they open a restaurant. Um, with someone like Chang, open a major domo, you know Chang, you've done stories with him before, you also were then writing about major domo, which you ultimately celebrated, but you also were pretty honest and candid in your review of it. You made a Cheesecake Factory reference, <laughs> which I, I think is a good one, because it's a big menu and it pleases everyone. That restaurant is bustling and there's something in a good way, Cheesecake Factory, about it. How challenging is that for you to sort of give an honest, candid assessment of a restaurant that ultimately might be complimentary, but you know there might be some things in there that sort of the chef might not appreciate? I mean, I assume, uh, you know, first of all, I don't have true friendships with too many chefs. I mean, I, not that I've, it just hasn't really happened. Riyadh is an exception, uh, part, part because he was out of work for five years, uh, <laughs> and we developed a, a relationship before he opened, uh, he and Lee opened Frenchette. I feel that a, um, that a restaurateur should take it as a sign of respect for me to take their restaurant seriously enough to have thought seriously enough about it to have a nuanced view of it. So if they, I mean, I think that's how Chang received the you know my my coverage mm -hmm. of Major Domo. I'm sure it helped that it was on a best new restaurants list. Yeah, it's a little awkward. I mean, I you know um, I try to avoid. I mean, you know, it goes without saying, or it should go without saying, without saying that I, they don't know I'm there, although, or at least they don't know I'm coming. Yeah. Um, I I you know I think that's the best we can do. There are certainly people who know me, um, although not. I don't think that I'm at the level where uh, my photos anywhere. But like. Chang happened to be there the night that I came in, spotted me at the bar right away. But I don't feel like there's that much they can do at that point to um, yeah the restaurant the restaurant. Yeah. And Julia, you you came from Time Out Chicago where you were a full time critic and anonymously so. And yeah, you guys came from Time Out New York. Yeah, exactly. Woo. <laughs> um, apparently, your nickname was Cutthroat Kramer. You had a reputation for being <laughs> tough on restaurants. How have you changed, or how have you stayed the same in terms of approaching restaurant criticism now? Well. I think the, going back to the question you just asked, like it's so much easier to be responsible for putting together a top 10 list. Yes. Yeah. Like <laughs> then, the bottom 10 list? <laughs> yeah, then reviewing every single new restaurant and bar you know of that opens in the city, like most of which are just not even going to be good or bad, but just mediocre. Down I think the that's middle. A t those are the toughest articles to write yeah. for the restaurants that are just fine. But at the same time, there's, I mean, I, I, I find it frustrating to, I mean, sometimes what's going wrong in a restaurant is what's most interesting. And there's the most things to say about it. And I, and, and I don't really have an outlet for that. As somebody who's, I mean, my, my, my job is generally to celebrate in this story. I mean, I write other things in yeah. which I can do that. But, but a truly mixed review 
can be, uh, or a truly mixed restaurant experience can be the most fascinating. And I kind of have to just swallow all that or tweet it, I guess. But, uh, you know, there's, it's just a lot of, I come back with a lot of um, material that I wind up never being able to use because those places aren't, don't qualify as the best in America. And that's a process my editors always have to do is comb through and get rid of all the it's time I spend uh, ranting about things I don't like. <laughs> uh, let's talk about overlap because I think right now we're at a time where you've got Bon Appetit's best new restaurants, you have Food and Wine's best new restaurants, you have GQ's best new restaurants, you have Esquire's best new restaurants, you have Eater's best new restaurants, not to mention LA Times or New York Times. When you are putting together your list, how do other lists influence you or not influence you? Because we're all on slightly different cycles in terms of one comes out in February, one comes out in May, one comes out in September. So you're certainly cognizant of what's already been sort of saluted. Julia. I, okay, I'm going to start with a compliment. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Let it be noted. Yeah, let it be noted. I do not as Adam can attest, I do not like a lot of food writing, correct? I, yes. Okay. <laughs> this feels like it's leading up to something bad. I, just, I don't know. It's too delicate. And what I really love about Brett's list is that it I don't think of it, it, part of it is a list, but it's also like this great piece of writing that you can kind of sit down with and read and that like kind of touches on these sort of and analyzes things that are going on in restaurants that he's like noticed from doing this trip to make this list and it's like yeah obviously you're like a very talented writer and it's that it's like something i want to read yeah i would just say for the listener brett's uh and the gq it's it's written as a long form article highlighting the best restaurants of the year but there's an overall narrative and arc to like right. dining in america in 2019 or 20 and what, what this all means uh with all the restaurants throughout studded throughout the piece so, like, to me, that's really cool. That's, like, something very unique that, like, Brett and GQ bring to the table. So some of the other ones you mentioned are really just lists, you know? Yes. And I, Which is fine. It's more servicey. I think some, a, a publication like Eater is, is designed to be more of a, you know, A, digital only, B, service. Like, these are the places you should go or can go when you're traveling, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, like, part of me enjoys them because I think – if I see something on that list that I've never heard of, I'm excited to have something new to check out and a new sort of like voice that's being made part of the food conversation. And then I also enjoy it because I can just yell at the computer. Like, that, I hate that place. How could that person put that on their list? Like, so it is kind of fun to have been to most of the places that are on other people's lists and, um, you know, decide how much you want to trust that, how much you trust that person's taste. Um, well, let's get more specific. Uh, <laughs> let's name some names. Chris, like, thank you, by the way. Yeah. So, Brett, for instance, like, all right, so you're putting together your list for this May. Yeah. Last, the last BA list that came out um, was in September. The BA restaurant of the year was this restaurant, None Such, in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Now, the fact that that was in BA was an eight-page article, yada, yada, yada. Are you like, ah. I can't do that because BA already did a big thing on it, or well, BA did that big thing on it, so I I should go to Oklahoma City and check it out. Like, how do you approach yeah, that? Yeah, that's sort interesting. Of thing? You said, you know, I do think by the end of the cycle, a kind of canon of the ones that that everybody's written about does emerge, and then you have to sort of decide. You know, for instance, I'll return to none such in a second. Um, you know, this year, what what would it be? Angler in San Francisco, Bavel. 
Um, Felix would have been a one. Pavel in L.A. Uh, Felix would have been one last year. Um, Adam Mix here in New York. Um, Places that have um, have gotten uh, you know consistent attention. And you know it should be said those places also probably have very robust PR arms and like you know and they're they're they've put themselves in the conversation and knowing trying to distinguish between. It, you know, this, on the one hand, you don't want to just follow along and put the same list together as the, the everybody else does. On the other hand, you're not serving the reader if that's one of the best restaurants in, in America, and some of them really are. So going to actually check those out um, is really important, obviously. Yeah. And uh, and being able to kind of figure out what's your ego and not wanting to be the fourth person to put angler on versus what's, you know, whether you whether it's um, for a better reason than that um, is important. I did not go to Oklahoma City this year, uh, in part basically because of what you said, which is that a place like that, you guys owned it so so thoroughly. Um, and because the style of, I mean, there's a million different sort of jigsaw puzzle pieces that come into play. You know, as you're putting this together, I, I see the list in part as being um, there to uh, to celebrate sort of the best, but also to kind of represent the ecosystem as best it can. So um, you know, I, I'd like it to um, to have a, a you know a a, a, um, a casual place. A um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm just rattling off the top of my head, but a, you know, a, a tasting menu um, uh, for the first time. I'm going to put on a, um, a serious omakase sushi restaurant, I believe, this year. And uh, and frankly, I had some of those slots filled. Yeah. Um, or at least I knew that I was pretty solid on a few. I, it, it's one of those things that happens with those small cities when you're when you're looking at the map and you're looking at your budget and you're looking at the time, you know, the calendar. Um, you can't go everywhere, and I think that uh, none such had been well served by yeah by you guys. And also, the the fact that BA and GQ that these lists are initially presented in a in the print magazine in a big feature well treatment, and it's different than a thorough exhaustive list of the best restaurants in America right now online that it's in that more sort of listy one through 50 manner these are presented in breast case especially in yours as a long form narrative ours as an entire 46 page feature well with different stories and just as if GQ's like you know what Esquire just did a story on this person we, we're not going to do that because you know what I'm saying like there is that sort of more immersive experience and if that experience has already been done by another publication you're like, what are we going to bring to the table by doing it again? Right. At fair? the same time, yeah. I think there. Are, I, I mean, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule about it. I do think that there's. I mean, I'm trying to think of like Major Dumb was a perfect example, or um, I don't want to talk too much about what what's what was this year, but there are restaurants that everybody's talked about that deserve to be talked about and deserve to be uh, celebrated and um, would be um, and and people should go to. So Brett mentioned before, Julia. A few years ago, Brett, in his piece, talked about how the best meal that he had all year was at Staple House in Atlanta. <laughs> and five months later, Andrew Knowlton, you guys, named Staple House as Restaurant of the Year. Did Brett's piece give you pause at all that year? Do you remember when you and Andrew were discussing the Hot Ten? I think Andrew's um, like deep Atlanta sympathy is like blinded him from any sort of <laughs> questioning about whether or not to name Staple House number one plus you know and his love for that for that restaurant and everything they were doing and yeah I think I mean you it was the, I think it was absolutely the right move I mean not because you were just blatantly ripping me off but <laughs> um but because it was 
I, it, I think it was a, a representative of, of everything going on in restaurants at that moment, or a, a huge chunk of what was going on in restaurants at that moment, and doing it superlatively with a wonderful backstory and and uh, I, it, it should have been on both of ours. Well, what do you guys do? Because like in your 2017 piece, Brad, I'm looking at it right now on the laptop. Um, you lead off writing about Salazar in in L.A. Um, a stone store from the L.A. River, kind of an outdoor taqueria sort of situation. And that night, you ran into Andrew Knowlton there, right? I did. Yeah, it was a daytime. It was like nobody else there. It was yeah. the middle of the afternoon. So what's it like, Julia, when you guys, you know you're on the circuit with all the same other writers. You know you're kind of hitting up the same places. You know the list you had, the research you have access to. There's not a lot of stones left unturned in this digital age. Sometimes you're like, oh, my God, this is so depressing. I just ran into so-and-so from so-and-so. Well, I know this is kind of cheesy, but I just wish we could all go together. Because can BA pay? Yeah, it's like it's kind of lonely, you know, and it's so much food to eat, and you need a lot of people to kind of like help you eat the food. And I like all these other people who make these lists. Like, wouldn't it be? Couldn't we all just go like on a big tour and then not say what we think, and then we can each like come up with our own list? Do you, by the way, I did. Do you? How often do you eat alone when you're out there? Practically never. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. I do every third or fourth meal, I'd guess, just out of whatever exhaustion. I mean, I find, frankly, out of all the things that are exhausting, I find the hosting portion by the end to be almost as bad as the bad, almost as uh, exhausting as the uh, as the eating. Kind of like um, going on a mediocre date sort of thing when you're single. It's not like, mediocre. Guess- it's just an energy outlay. Yeah. It's just this constant. I mean, I love it. I get to see people I know every year. I get to visit, you know, college friends. And, and it's an excuse to call up fascinating people I know from Twitter and, and all the critics in every city. Um, but at some point, the energy outlay of making conversation, no matter who it is, becomes exhausting. And I find that when I, what I lose, oftentimes, what I lose in variety of what I'm able to eat, I make up in attention and um, focus. And I, I think if you look back, about half my places I probably ate it alone. I mean, over the course of the four years. Yeah. I mean, I should backtrack on what I said in that I'm only talking about dinner, like breakfast, lunch, like I cannot have with another person. Because, you know, like it's, it, you're going to two dinners, that's like you're talking about six hours of conversation with someone like it's yeah can we talk about patience and focus like so you guys are on the road a lot and night after night you're having to go to places i was i don't do this professionally but i was just in la last week with my podcast pal joe house and he was saying hey one of the guys who owns dialogue restaurant really wants us to come in and i was like and I've never been to Dialogue, so I'm being totally judgmental with how to have gone. It was on Brett's list. It was on your list last year. Last your year, number yeah. one meal. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to a restaurant with 18 seats in a three-hour tasting video. I just like, I just don't have the patience or focus to do that. I just, I'm like, no. I'm going you. to Dan Tanner's or something. But, but that is your job. And are there, are there nights where you're just like, oh, God, I just can't sit through this thing again. But you have to. A tasting menu can be like, torturous. I mean, if that's not what you want at that moment. But it can, it can be, be totally thrilling. I find. Yeah. I mean, that's that's in part of what makes it so thrilling is the relief that it's exciting. And you know, um, I, uh, I I don't feel like there's. I think everybody feels that way about. Uh, um, I think one of the great things in the last several years has been the evolution of the tasting menu to take that into account. Like they're lighter, they're faster, they're less stuffy. There's less explanation most of the places. So I think. But yes, of course. I mean, in in in, in answer to your bigger question. There's a lot of nights when I don't uh, feel like going out to two dinners um, wherever I am. There, um, I imagine there are certain nights when you walk into uh, 
what's the LA place? Verlaine, Verd. Vespertine. Vespertine from Destroyer. <laughs> I, I, there are nights, nice, is that daunting? You're like, okay, here we go. I hope this is good. I hope I'm up for this. Yeah, well, well I, never mind. What's your I, I have a yeah, funny well, story about Vespertine. But let's where, hear it. Where, well, where, where, and it was not that they, they handled it very well, but I was. <laughs> the, the 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 experience starts out you're on the roof right where mm. you're supposed to gaze at the moon and there's this there's this very repetitive um you've been yeah did you go i know andrew went okay there's a there's a like philip glass kind of tones rolling over and over and over again like that yeah, yeah. do it that's very good um and it's gorgeous it's a very beautiful visual sumptuous visual uh, experience but we got forgotten <laughs> Or, or I, I don't know if we were forgotten or if somebody downstairs, like somebody wouldn't leave. I mean, something happened in the flow of service, but we weren't, but, but it went on a really, really long time. And at some point you start to kind of lose track of time and, and you start wondering, is this part of the, like, are we, are we supposed to, like, what, what's happening next? And, you know, and it's very crazy. They have these like monks running around, like picking up tiny things off the floor. And, you know, you've already eaten a gooseberry out of a stone. And a, anyway, uh, they, they were very, they, they were, they were apologetic and handled it as well as they can. I think what happened was that a table got stuck, like didn't, wouldn't get up downstairs. <laughs> what are we talking about? Yes, you walk into Vespertine. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was, that was, a, that was one where, where at least I knew it was going to be fascinating um, or at least, you know, interesting. But you didn't put it on your list. Uh, I did not put it on my list, no. That's, that, that's a place that I thought was, that, talk about what I was saying earlier. I, I admired it very, very much. I had a lot to say about it and no place really to say it because the list had to be kind of only the places that I almost unequivocally could recommend. And oh, even though in that piece, I think I, I, think I as you mentioned with Major Domo, I, I often will, will include some reservations along the way. But uh, Vespertine is a place that, that made me think a huge amount. And as I say, I had a lot to say about, but didn't qualify to be one of my top 12 or whatever it was last yeah. year and uh and it was frustrating in fact i think we cut a, a section on it that i had written because of um because it didn't really fit let's get personal for a moment julia brett so you you both have children spouses you had a, when philip was born how long ago a year and a half 19 ago? months ago 19 months ago and how it's an unusual job, the travel, the, like how do you, how does this affect your home life? You also have a job, a day job here that you're supposed to be at. Like how do you manage all that? What's your strategy that you've learned over the years to make it palatable? Uh, can Brad answer this first? I don't <laughs> no. have a strategy. It's not palatable. It's not palatable. <laughs> it's all, it's, it's a strain. It's a huge strain. Um, it's a, it's, there's no way around uh, that. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's the most boring strain you can imagine it's exactly all the things you'd think it's it's my partner girlfriend um you know has is left alone with two kids for a lot of it i've been you know i, I come home on the weekends almost always except for a big west coast swing and and here in new york um so oh, that's that and when you and i were talking about this last night and kira's a writer also so she certainly understands the job but it's like that's great if you understand the job but if you have a two-year-old and a four-year-old right. hanging on nobody you, nobody i mean this, thankfully i'm very lucky in that uh, you know it, it doesn't come with anger or not, not a misunderstanding it's just there's no way around the fact that it's difficult um and you know it's like believe me there's ple there's people who are being deployed to god knows where you know for much longer i mean and and frankly you know i i try to comfort myself by saying that you know working a, a 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. job, which many, many people do. I'd see my kids less. But it is, uh, it's hard on everybody. It's hardest on her. I miss the kids. I miss her. I miss, I miss being home uh, a fair amount. 
I mean, nobody wants to hear this. It's boring. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I mean, it's, 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 I'm saying this job is ex- exciting in all the ways, all the awesome, sexy ways you'd think it is, and, and bad in all the really boring ways about what it's hard, you know, um, you know, feeling like full all the time and, and missing your kids. Yeah, so Julia, what's your strategy going into this year? Yeah, I don't really have a strategy. For me, it's hard because the this is, you know, I didn't, I did only did a little bit last year and every previous year before that there was no downside to it like mm-hmm. it was like the thing i would complain about the most is just like eating too much do you except, know what i except mean except when you ended up in the hospital yeah except when i got pneumonia but even that i was like okay um, <laughs> like you were more worried about that than i was so but it's so it's hard now that that's this great opportunity that comes with a downside of you know not being with my kid and putting this like tremendous burden on my husband who has a more demanding job than I do so you know I'm freaked out do you try to I'm only gonna do trips for x number of days or has has that changed in terms of actual travel and logistics oh totally yeah so like if you remember that time I got pneumonia, I had been on the road for 17 days straight. Yeah. So <laughs> you're like at the Almond Brothers or something, you know. So yes, I and um, you know I I guess maybe I just like had more. I didn't worry about like work life balance or whatever. So I would just do my normal job Monday through Thursday, and then I would leave on Friday and. Then I would take the first flight back on Monday morning straight into the office with my bag and go back to the other stuff I was doing. So I can't really do that anymore. So I'm traveling more during the week. Thanks, Adam. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) And taking shorter trips. And um, I mean, I was always trying to sort of maximize my time wherever I was. But I think um, I have to also just be smarter about doing um, as much as much research ahead of time and not beating myself up if I miss something and like because I didn't drive to Jackson, Mississippi or something. Oh man, you gotta go to Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you why. <laughs> um, I mean, I th- the missing things. I d- if, if, I've learned also to accept that there's a randomness and a subjectivity to um, you know, and maybe that's the, the style of my the way I get to do the story because it is. Uh, because I get to write it as kind of my journey a little bit more than sort of the institutional. I mean, I feel like you have a little more responsibility for completism than I do. You know, there are years, uh, I don't know, last year I couldn't get to Minneapolis because there was a Super Bowl, and that was the only time I could get there. And, you know, I, and, and that drove me bananas. And um, there's cities I couldn't get to this year. Um, and I, I think that in a larger sense, kind of accepting and acknowledging the the fact that there is also going to be a day when I don't feel well like that, that my my response to a restaurant when I walk in has so has as much to do with you know me as it does the restaurant in some ways that I can bring as much professionalism and kind of you know distance as I possibly can to it but ultimately you know it's about how open to pleasure I am that night and you know that's my struggle to kind of try to be as open to pleasure as possible but there's just restaurants that aren't going to work for me and uh, restaurants I'm not going to get to because I'm there on a Monday and a lot of restaurants you know are closed on Monday all I can say to restaurants is open for lunch for God's sakes (laughs) open for lunch and use the dinner menu is that your is that what it says in your business card Brett Martin open 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 for for pleasure pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, one last question before we get to the lightning round what's more important the list or what as a writer you do with that list 
It's hard because I would say for the vast majority of people who are going to read it, all that really matters is the list. Like um, what 10 restaurants yeah, are there? And yeah. I think that for the restaurants that are on it, all that matters is the list. It doesn't really matter what you say about them necessarily. So probably the list itself has the most impact and yeah. yeah for better or for worse i would say as an editor it's what you do with the list like i want to read if brett has a really well written interesting long form piece that's what i'm interested in reading in bon appetit i want to know what are the stories that we craft around these 10 restaurants and the imagery and the recipe and that whole sort of experience i find the experience more interesting than the list itself in that there are so many lists out there now and there's overlap and whatnot so i'm like more curious to know what you as a writer is going to do with that those restaurants that you select I'd like to think that's the case. I know that that most people just read the list. <laughs> you know, I mean, but it, and it's frustrating. But I, uh, but I'm glad to hear that that's not 100. percent One guy thinks that. All right, uh, lightning round. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. Notepad or notes app? I'm app. Notes app. Um, notes app, like night of, if I need to, if it's like a tasty menu or something like long, or the server says something funny. Um, but I'm like hardcore notebook. In oh, really? terms of like, you know, writing down the best things that I ate, like the next so morning. So you can go you back know. to that and look at your journal over the course of three months or whatever. I'm just like a handwriting person. Like, you know me. I, I don't come to a meeting with a laptop. Like, I come with a notebook, you know? Like, Old school Julia. <laughs> <laughs> Do you use a fountain pen? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Next question. Uber or Lyft? Lyft. I only do Lyft. Oh, you're going to like this one, Brett. Coffee in your room or go out for coffee? Julie? I'm pregnant, so I'm not drinking coffee. But I would not, unless I were having coffee room service, are you saying I would be using like like the the pods in the the, room? I'm just, we'll get to Brett, but in the morning when you wake up, do you go out for coffee or do you call up and have room service coffee? I would prefer to have room service coffee, but like, I wouldn't use the machine with the pods Mm. because, like, that seems too much like work. Brett, how much work is it? (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, I need about a half hour right now (laughs) to to talk about this because it is something I feel very strongly about. I, I, I will not order room service and I will not leave the room. So they have to figure <laughs> something out. <laughs> if I, 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 I travel with, um, I travel, if all else fails, which is to say, you know, they, they can't get me a coffee maker. There's no coffee maker in the room. They can't get me a coffee maker. They can't get me a hot water kettle, mm-hmm. which oftentimes they have somewhere. Um, I travel with a, um, I travel with Starbucks Instant via packets, mm. which are, which is a product I would endorse happily. Okay. Um, and one of these like, camping coils that you plug oh in. God. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's just, a, it's just, you plug it in and it gets hot. It's like a fire hazard. It's a walking <laughs> fire hazard. And I will sit there and I will, in the, um, you know, the, the, the bathroom toothpaste yeah. cup, oh my God. <laughs> boil my water and have my instant coffee rather than face another person in the morning. <laughs> um, and I, but, but that said, you know, almost every hotel, it's one of these weird things where the more you spend, the less... You know, the the, the the fanciest hotels will not have something for you. Yeah, Although they want you to order fancy yeah, room well, service. you know what? Um, I'm going to burn down your hotel with my coil. <laughs> if you won't give me a coffee. So do you like, prefer the places that have, like, the pod machines in yeah, your room? Yeah, yeah. yeah I prefer and you, that. your black coffee? Uh, yeah, black coffee. Okay. So that helps, yeah. That I, I don't need milk. Yoga or city bike? Yoga. I'm not biking around a city where I don't know where I'm going with no helmet. Mm-hmm. 
And what's your yoga thing you do again? What's it called? The company? Well, this worked out really well for me for a few for a while doing core power yoga, which is, I have a membership to, and is in almost every city that I go to for the hot time. Unfortunately, again, I'm pregnant, so I'm not doing high yoga. Uh, I use city bikes a lot then. And unfortunately, because as I mentioned, it's the winter. I, I this year I, I got, uh, hit some almost everywhere I went. It seemed like I couldn't do it, but whenever I can, I've got a membership at almost every one of them. Do you travel with a helmet? Uh, no, I don't. I don't, I don't on, know Brett. what it is. Brett, I you, use a helmet. You, I believe me. I know I use a helmet. It's, it's weird. I feel like there's this weird thing when I'm on a shared bike. I don't, uh, I don't wear a helmet, but, um, and I love it in New York. It's like changed my relationship to New York city bike. And I love the scooters. Tums? Like bird? Yes. No. Oh, the, don't don't go on one of those scooters, dude. Like no. No. I, when I was last oh time, I was actually God. at Felix in Venice yeah, last Venice year. Yeah, Venice where I tried it for the first time. I see these like, I mean, literally like drunk couples together on a scooter weaving down the sidewalk. I'm like, what are you doing? It's like a at terrible, night. Terrible, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. Helmetless. And yeah, I traffic. think it's the greatest thing in the world. And they're they're bringing them to New Orleans, which is like the, you might as well disaster. just line up the ambulances. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, a city bike. That is one of the few strategies. Walking between rest, walking as much as possible and and um and bike share has been uh, a big part of my traveling tums or pepto-bismol all of it <laughs> all of it and more prilosec gaviscon what's gaviscon oh, that's the serious stuff <laughs> <laughs> you need, it, it's like a it's serious it's like a big foam Oh wow! Yeah, is there a flavor? I have I have terrible acid refluxes. <laughs> I mean, if if you must know, <laughs> and um, uh, I really do have to use a lot of that stuff. Julia, I have to say, okay, I, don't, I, I actually don't. Uh, ha- I'm not currently taking any of that stuff, but because I'm traveling this year and won't be drinking, I actually think I'm going to be in much better condition. Like I think it's going to be like a so. lot. I think less that's probably yeah. Damage done to my body. A couple more. Appetizer or entree? Uh, definitely appetizer. Oh, I don't know. I mean, what are we saying? Which which well, one? Think, if you had like, to try a restaurant, would you? Which one would you? Which is more indicative? And which? Uh, I guess I suppose appetizer. I mean, that's traditionally true. Appetizer. I come from a family of only app. My my parents only eat appetizers. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> They're the original small plate couple. They are. They are the topest couple. Yes. Uh, my mother never met an entree she cared about. She only gets two two appetizers. Oh, see, that's very at the revealing. same time or one and then the next. It depends. Okay. Depends on the situation. <laughs> they um, they are very good eaters who don't eat a lot, and they think most entrees are too big. <laughs> and, they and they're not big. interested in big proteins, like you know that's sort of their thing. Yeah, and I think entrees are, can be the case of like diminishing returns. You yeah. eat in the third of it, you're like, all right, I get it. Well, let me ask, can I ask a question of Julia? Yeah, sure. <laughs> when you do two dinners, mm-hmm. if you had to think, which one do you tend to enjoy more? Oh, probably the first one, but then if I actually like the second one, I know that it's really good. Because you're not starving. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I had this exact same conversation with Bill Addison once, and he agreed with you. But I don't relax on the first one. I'm too stressed out about saving room for the second <laughs> one. And so oh. I've stopped doing as, uh, two as, as often as I used to. I used to do two every, every night. And now if there's a place that I really have a good feeling about and I, and I want to give the best possible shot, I will just do one. But I, the first one always falls by the wayside for me. It doesn't always, but often falls by the wayside. Interesting. All right, last question. Aisle or window? 
I'm window always. Window. What? Oh my god! I sleep. Uh, the mo- I, I haven't seen a takeoff in in ten years. Really? I'm fast asleep <laughs> before we're off in the air. Well, maybe, it's all, maybe it's all that all those heartburn <laughs> drugs are knocking you out. <laughs> no, I, I I I'm a I'm a hardcore window guy. I can only sit in an aisle. Like a couple years ago, something happened. I started to have like claustrophobia or something on planes. If I'm not in an aisle seat, I won't get on the plane. Like Wait, I, seriously? I I can't unless I'm like it's. Uh, someone I know mm-hmm. next to me in the aisle and I'm in the middle you know like yeah. um, and I know that I know them and I can get up like yeah. at any time but otherwise I, I have to be in the aisle I like, panic Fred good luck this year <laughs> Julia Kramer <laughs> Fred Martin thanks so much guys thank thanks. you The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.